Hi, I'm Lori Denning, and this is my podcast, The 20-Minute Scriptorian, where I explore LDS scripture and doctrine for the Come Follow Me curriculum for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Like most of you, I'm a typical Latter-day Saint, and I've held a variety of callings, from gospel doctrine teacher to institute. I've always loved learning and sharing the scriptures of Christ. Recently, I went back to school, and I'm currently a theology student where I get to learn context, history, ancient languages, and more importantly, how to learn. I thought you might want to share in what I was learning, and the 20-minute scriptorian was born. While I am a believer, these thoughts are my own, and they are not an official representation of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Thanks for listening, and join me on the journey as we explore the scriptures and the path of the disciple of Christ. Hey, hey, Scriptorians, it's Lori. Welcome back. We are headed into the book of Jacob. So sadly, goodbye, Nephi. We wish Nephi well as we move on to his younger brother, Jacob. Today, we're going to do the all about section in which we discuss the who, what, when, where, why, and really the timing, setting, culture, kind of the context to set up to understand what's going to happen in these next few fantastic chapters. Next on the 20-minute Scriptorian. So we are changing gears a little bit and going to step back, take a big picture look about Jacob and, and what's going on. So let's just jump right into it, shall we? So first, when, when is the book of Jacob being written? It is being written about 55 years after uh, Nephi dies. In fact, he says that right at the get-go in, in Jacob 1.1. He says, hey, it's been about so long since we have left Jerusalem. And so you get kind of an idea of when this was. So he is probably somewhere, so how old is he? You know, it's we, we know he, uh, Jacob and Joseph are born in the wilderness and then they travel around for somewhere around eight years in the wilderness and then they, they journey to the promised land, so another year-ish or something. So he's probably somewhere, um, at, when they're uh, suffering on the ship at one point, it talks about Sariah's suffering and then Jacob and, and Joseph for need of nourishment because their mother was suffering so so they might have been a little bit young still but we think he's no older than 10 when they get to the promised land and if uh, Nephi was 16 I know it's on the young side but if Nephi was 16 when they left Jerusalem Nephi would be um what in his 70s and then um Jacob would be just about 50. So anyway, somewhere somewhere in there to give a, a good idea of, of at least when the beginning of, of Jacob's writing is. Um, this uh, setting-wise, it's really important, I think, that we take a step back and talk about what's happening in the Nephite history because right now is this super pivotal time. So right now uh, in the setting is Nephi's died. Um, the Nephi, their king, their originator, their founding father uh, can you imagine the struggle the impact the the national crisis that this would have caused sure everybody knew he was getting older it's not like that there there are people understand that but but obviously he's been their ruler for a really long time and quite an incredible one at that right they they even decide to name his his successor Nephi is kind of a king title so instead of calling him king they call him the next Nephi you know Nephi 2 or something like that um so we don't know if that's Nephi's son or his grandson uh, probably not his granddaughter but uh, a daughter they're not quite that enlightened but 
But we don't know who it is uh, that would have been on the large plates, as you remember. So the large plates do have uh, some spiritual things in them, uh, but they are more concerned with political things. So we, we miss out on that. Um, but Moroni, or I'm sorry, Mormon abridges from the large plates and gets a lot of different material that, that we have too. So anyway, that's on the large plates and we don't have that. Um, uh, James Falconer does point out something here that um, that I thought was fascinating. He says that something is interesting about what's happening right now is that the people start to see themselves instead of lineage. So instead of a tribe, they're not from the tribe of Manasseh or from Ephraim or they're not um, Israelites any longer. They're starting to see themselves in a political difference. So they're Nephites or they're Lamanites. So they aren't called Nephi because they're tr from the tribe of Nephi. They call themselves, and they're not even his descendants, right? They're not Nephi's descendants for the most part. They are following Nephi's way of life. So Nephi has encouraged them. So we, uh, some, a lot of scholars think that there were other people living there. We know there were other people living there, but they would have um, incorporated in, and that's why the, the culture gets so big so fast. So these would have been, uh, uh, indigenous cultures as well as the Nephite family and they become this greater Nephite nation and they've separated themselves from the Lamanites but here is where we see that political division so so we're living in this time of this poli great political difference now who's Jacob then well Jacob isn't part of the kingly line right he's not Nephi's family um, so but his family Jacob's family and his sons right on the small plates so we're going to meet uh, in Omni it kind of talks about this but um, so they, they're kind of um, a little more to the side of the political story right they're they're not you don't hear about Jacob's family um, but here they are the ones that have been entrusted to write on the small plates and and Jacob's going to introduce that right out of the get-go the first eight verses he gives this big introduction of telling us who what when we'll talk about that in a second so so timing uh, starts, the book of Jacob starts maybe about 55 years, uh, well, starts at about 55 years when Nephi leaves. We don't know how long until Jacob dies. The setting is this Nephite history of it, um, the break, the political break, the death of Nephi, the national crisis. And Jacob is not part of that kingly line of Nephite. Rather, he and his family are the document keepers or the record keepers they're the um spiritual side and you don't see them come back together the spiritual and the political side come back together till mosiah right so we don't see that until alma and mosiah's time so so really a fascinating uh time to look at again we mentioned culture there are many other civilizations living around them and whether you're one that believes it was in north america or central america we no, there were lots of different cultures. And you're going to see Jacob address that, that they've already started to regress. Um, and much like us or the Israelites or the people of Jesus' time or whomever, but we, we tend to live like our neighbors. We tend to take on the greater cultural biases and, and trends. And so that's happening with these Nephites as well. Um, we are the same. We are tempted by cultural norms around us, what's right, what's wrong, how to behave. Um, and and so they're having that challenge. So we're going to see Jacob just jump on that. He's in his, one of his very first sermons. Um, he, he jumps on, you're going to talk about the uh, the uh, kind of abuse of women and children and, and not really respecting um, uh, the, the ladies in the family. 
And it's not going to make him very popular. It certainly couldn't have made him very popular because he's pretty aggressive. So, so again, who was he? Well, we know he's about 50, and Nephi was somewhere around 70, 75, best guess. And, again, it's 55 years since he left uh, Lehi. He was born in the wilderness, so he, he didn't grow up in Jerusalem either, right? He would have been out in that Bedouin desert part. He was named Jacob. Jacob, super, super Jewish name, right? I mean, he is Jacob that becomes Israel. And, uh, and so I don't know, why did Lehi name his next two sons Jacob and Joseph, right? He has these Laman and Lemuel. They're really Hebrew. Sam is not sure where Sam comes from. Maybe Egypt. Um, Nephi probably maybe Egypt as well. Um, and then uh, we're just who knows. Um, but Jacob and Joseph, he certainly goes right back to the the patriarchs Israel. It's a new family. It's the new promised land. And then Joseph is the uh, family of Ephraim and Manasseh, right? So those are the families that are leaving. So I think. In my mind, Lehi is trying to set up his son to say, I want you to be the new Israel, right? We're just like them. Uh, Lehi and Sarai were getting on in on years um, when Jacob uh, was born. And so you, you hear a lot about them suffering during the trip uh, because of age. And the trip was obviously very challenging, kind of getting them in training, right, for the new world. But Jacob couldn't have been more than 10 uh, when they reached the promised land. Uh, Nephi talks about having to flee from Laman and Lemuel and Jacob and his brothers and sisters, right? They flee. So Nephi talks about, you know, my brothers and my sisters um, and and Sam and their wives, and uh, and they all have to flee Laman and Lemuel not long after they get to the promised land, if you remember. And they never mention, they remember that Nephi, Sam, Laman, and Lemuel, they'll have wives, but you never hear at this point, this is very early on still, of Jacob and Joseph having wives and it was probably because they were young at that point but we know that Jacob had a wife because he has children and one of them we're going to meet very soon Enos so and then we know the books pass on through through them uh we don't know how old Jacob was when he died we know he's about 50 it's the time he starts writing you know more or less and then we don't know how long the book of Jacob takes. He, while he's entrusted with the book, he doesn't write that much. But he, what he does write is incredibly powerful. So we, uh, we also have a lot from Nephi. Uh, I'm sorry, Jacob. We have a lot from Jacob. So one of the things I like about Jacob is in the book of Nephi, in Nephi, we get this narrative. In First Nephi, you learn about him being this younger brother and, um, and looking up to uh, Nephi and his father Lehi and seeing the breakdown of the family with Laman and Lemuel becoming uh, pretty naughty boys and then we hear from him right away right we hear from Lehi blessing Jacob second Nephi 2 and then second Nephi 9 this great amazing sermon and also uh, Jacob takes a conference talk right um, right there and uh, right before second Nephi 9 and and says and talks about the gathering and scattering of Israel and so we we feel like to me I feel like we already know Jacob he's he's as much our little brother as he is Nephi's right we've grown up with him and we we know him through his journeys and his travels and his powerful 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 sermons and writing so when we get to his book I'm like hooray um, you know it's our our little brother we've been traveling with all along uh, we know a couple things about him. He had been a, called as a teacher and a priest. Uh, we hear about that in Second Nephi 5. So we know that he and Joseph had been consecrated to be specific. Now, there is some discussion. Well, are they teachers and priests like we have today in the Melchizedek priesthood? And then they wouldn't have had the 
Aaronic priesthood because they're not of Aaron or Levi, right? They're not Levitical priests, so they don't have that family line. So they probably had the um, Melchizedek priesthood. Uh, we don't hear about it, but they were clearly called at this point. Uh, I think it's a little bit in error to think that the callings of teacher and priest are the same as we call them of teacher and priest today. We know that roles and ages and some of the things change, as we've seen with the administration of the church. So, But you can see that he's definitely... Um, an intercessor, intercessor to his people as a priest would be. And we see him preaching at the temple a lot. We also see him being a teacher. So we go, yep, know that. Another thing that we should capture about Jacob, and you probably know this one, is that he is super strong with his emotions. So, uh, and he is very, it comes out in the words he chooses. So I want you to kind of watch for it. You probably know Sami ends this book, I do, right? Some uh, translator, Joseph, in this case, is trying to capture the feeling that he's using. So he uses French, but um, you see it throughout his whole book when he writes. So you'll see Jacob, he's, he's intimate, he's vivid, he, he's uh, emotional. He, you can just feel the, the pain and the internalization that he has with these stories. He's very vulnerable. So he talks about his anxiety, grieve, tender. Um, they um, up, appear a number of times in his writings. Uh, also, he, uh, let's see, half of the book's citations of anxiety in the Book of Mormon occur in the Book of Joseph. Uh, I'm sorry, Jacob. Ah, let me say that again. Over half, <laughs> over half of the entire book's use of the word anxiety appear in Jacob. So Jacob feels it and he's saying, I feel very, I have a lot of anxiety for you. So he's feeling for his people. He knows what's going to happen to them, but it's also how he is. He's very emotional. So I, I love that. So um, he also used words like delicate. Uh, he's the only one to use the word delicate, contempt, lonesome. Um, another uh, uh, a great BYU article, I'll link it, uh, goes through all of this, but links that J Jacob uses the word wound um, to refer to emotional wounds frequently. Um, and only in the also in spiritual sense so it's emotional and spiritual wounding so he he's very expressive he's very expressive so um he's an author who we feel with he draws us into the emotion he's almost a poet but you can just feel the emotion of jacob and we're going to see that in the allegory as well so he's a guy who uses language well um, he also, I, th I wrote down some of my favorites, actually. He uses an interesting thing where he has these crafty words, right? And so he's, um, phrases, and some of these are from Second Nephi, but he says, the merciful plan of the great creator, the great plan of our God, the way of deliverance of our God, and also the devil's work is the cunning plan of the evil one. So he has these interesting phrases. In fact, notice that he puts a, um, uh, he, he kind of puts an adjective of some kind on with his noun. So it's like his piercing eye, the unsearchable deaths, the infinite atonement. First time we heard that was in Second Nephi. So you'll see that he's always trying to draw us in. It isn't just the eye, the depths, the atonement, the infinite atonement, or the great plan of God, the way of deliverance, uh, the cunning plan, right? Um, once you see him in Jacob, you just can't unsee them. You're like, that's totally a Jacobism. 
Let's talk about the themes. So as you're reading through this, and you probably have already started this week, but notice that he has a number of themes that he talks about. And the first part, I think, is that he really is on to the scattering and gathering of Israel. We were introduced to that way back in Second Nephi, but he's very interested in that. Obviously, his name is Jacob, Jacob who becomes Israel like the Old Testament Jacob, but he sees that they are a part of that covenant. They're part of that story. And so he carries that through. Also, he's the last one we really have that lived there. Uh, while he didn't live in Jerusalem, he was born um, in the old world. And so the rest of them uh, very soon will have only been born in the new world. So they won't have some of that feeling. And he's really trying to say, hey, this is a big deal and pay attention to it. So he's going to talk about it a lot. Jacob 5, uh, the big allegory part, that's a place we really hit on it. And he also hits on some other interesting things. Um, what if there was no atonement? right? But the it was an infinite atonement, and he talks about the benefits received. He also comes up with something really fascinating, um, the name of Christ. We hear two different times where Jacob says that in his youth, he had seen and been visited directly of Christ. So he knew him. And so he was introduced to his name, and he says his name, well, it's his title, right? Jesus Christ is a title, and that he would go by Christ. But in ancient days, right, 600 BC, uh, it would have been unknown, and it's a Greek word. So Jesus is telling him what he would be known as, which is how we know him. So um, awesome, right, the teaching the prophet about his title, his name. So really, really powerful there. Back in 2 Nephi 10.3, in Jacob's two-day sermon, he tells us about that, and then he's going to carry that through. It was obviously a very important thing. He just was introduced into Christ's title, into Christ's name, and he is going to teach the people that. He's going to teach us that. As part of that, he's going to teach us the additional themes of hope in Christ. So here's a person who's very emotional, and he's going to teach us about hope, but hope in Christ. He's also going to talk about a perfect knowledge of Christ. Again, he was probably one who had a perfect knowledge of Christ. He knew him. He had seen him. So he can give us that. So then he talks about faith. And I love in Jacob 7, he says, hope to shake me from the faith. Never hope the power. So it was great. Um, so pretty, pretty great stuff from Jacob. Let's look at structure for a minute. As we've been learning, when we take a step back and kind of structure the book into chunks or see what the authors are trying to do, remember these books are written, so they might be copies of speeches that were spoken. We look at them slightly differently, and we have done that a little bit, right? The very end of Second Nephi were, were sermons. They were, they were spoken. They weren't written down. Um, when we look at a book, we want to say, oh, this is a sermon, or this is a psalm, or this is a poem, or a history, or narrative, whatever. And in this case, we're going to see that Jacob was given the, the task of being the keeper of the plates and the guardian of these prophecies. And he doesn't write very much, though. Right? I mean, if he had them, why didn't he write more? But he, what he chooses is incredibly powerful. So a couple ways to look at the structure then, or at least three main chunks. So the first one is one through three. So he's going to really start out in verses one through eight with his introduction. So I want you to be really cautious of that. We'll come back to that in a second. Then second is four through six, and that's where you're going to get the, the section on the um, allegory 
in the middle there of chapter 5, the longest single chapter in the Book of Mormon, although the not, not the longest chapter in Scripture, by the way. So there you go. The third section is just we wrap up with this Jacob 7 um, uh, story. Um, so different, different um, things that he's chosen specifically. So in some ways they go together, in some ways they don't. I think they don't. And then it isn't one book that is like beginning, middle, and end. Instead, he's picking highlights from things that he wants to make sure. Remember, he's seen our time, and he knows what his family and us need, and so he's picking those pretty specifically. So let's listen to him and see what we find out. First, I want to get into that first main section and show you this introduction that he writes. And while I read this, I want you to listen for a couple of chunks. This is just the introduction of Jacob. It's just the first eight verses or so of first Nephi one and he gives an introduction and then the last couple verses of seven are his conclusion. So he gives an introduction or inclusion that's not quite it's not quite what we call an inclusio where it's repeating, but he does kinda bookend it for us. So I want you to start and end with those and see if you're not like, hey, he is telling us something specific. As we read through the introduction though, I want you to look at these kind of three big chunks. First, he's he's going to explain why they preserved the plates. Why, what were they supposed to put on them? Because that's what he is going to put on them. So as you're reading them, you can say, oh, I'm, you know, check. I saw that, right? And it helps pull that out. That's the first chunk. The second is why they preserved them. Why were they supposed to write this down? The third is so that or, or in order that and therefore what? So if we say... Why did we preserve the plates? And then why, what was supposed to be in them? So it's preserve the plates, why? And in order that, he's going to explain that to us, right? So I'm going to read it to you and we'll come back and, and see if you get the same bullets I did. Uh, it's really brief, so hold on while I read it. First name, uh, Jacob, Jacob 1, 1. For behold, it came to pass that 50 and 5 years had passed away from the time that Lehi left Jerusalem. Wherefore Nephi gave me Jacob a commandment concerning the small plates upon which these things were engraven. And he gave me Jacob a commandment that I should write these things upon these plates, a few of the things which I considered to be most precious, that I should not touch, save it were lightly, concerning the history of this people, which are called the people of Nephi. For he said that the history of this people should be engraven on other plates, and that I should preserve these plates and hand them down unto my seed from generation to generation. And if there were preaching which was sacred, or revelation which was great, or prophesying, that I should engraven the heads of them upon these plates, and touch upon them as much as were possible, for Christ's sake and for the sake of our people." For because of faith and great anxiety, it truly had been made manifest unto us concerning our people what things should happen unto them. And we also had many revelations and the spirit of much prophecy, wherefore we knew of Christ and his kingdom which should come. Wherefore we labored diligently among our people that we might persuade them to come unto Christ and partake of the goodness of God, and they might enter into his, that they might enter into his rest lest by any means he should swear in his wrath that they should not enter in, as in the provocation in the days of temptation, while the children of Israel were in the wilderness. Wherefore, we would to God that we would persuade all men not to rebel against God, to provoke him to anger, but that all men would believe in Christ, 
and view his death, and suffer his cross, and bear the shame of the world. Wherefore I, Jacob, take it upon me to fulfill the commandment of my brother Nephi. Oh, beautiful, isn't it? I love something reading that out loud. I realize he is such a fan of his brother. He just loves his brother. And so he he speaks in we. Did you notice that? He's not like I said, I said, I said. Um, He's like Team Nephi. <laughs> we wanted to share this. We prophesied. We were given these revelations. We had anxiety about our people. We taught them. Um, beautiful. What a great man. Okay, so here, let's see if we see the the buckets, the three bullets. So preserve the plates. He said, well, we were going to preserve them for his seed. And he said, the preaching was sacred. The revelation that was great were prophesying. So that was what they were supposed to put on them, right? The preaching that was sacred, the revelation that was great, or prophecy. So that's what we're going to watch for. But why? Why Why do we need preaching, revelation, and prophecy? He says, for Christ's sake. Isn't that interesting? For Christ's sake. For Christ's sake. And then, which you would kind of expect, the sake of our people. So they knew what was going to happen. So for us, or his people, but what do you think it means that he was saying, we taught this, and he started, that's his first thing. Why? For Christ's sake. It's an interesting phrase. And then he fills up with, in order that what? We can persuade them, his family, and us to come to Christ, come into Christ, and partake of the goodness of God, and enter into his rest. Persuade them to come unto Christ, partake of the goodness, and enter into his rest. I love how he ends, that we believe in Christ, view his death and his cross, and bear the shame. Uh, beautiful. So there's this introduction. It does not follow the Nephi introduction of the colophon, I, Nephi, having been born. Instead, he tells us who he is, what's happening, but also what he was supposed to write in these plates, why, and in order that. All right, that's it. That is the all about the book of Jacob. Uh, I can't wait to get into it further with you and keep on reading Scriptorians.